Well, thank you everybody for joining us. I'm Father Chris Alar here at the National Shrine of the Divine Mercy. It is beautiful here in terms of the fall colors. If you aren't, or if you've never been here, this is a great time to come to see the mountains and the colors of the trees. It is gorgeous. A little bit of rain, uh, but hey, that comes with it. And uh, we're excited because I think, I gotta check, but I think this is the 150th episode of taking you back to seminary. Uh, I'm excited, as I always tell you, when I went to seminary, I learned so much, and I said, I gotta share this with the world. So when you join us for Explaining the Faith, I'm teaching you what I learned. And today, I apologize, uh, we had announced earlier that today's topic was gonna be divine will, and we, we haven't canceled it, we're just postponing it, because I got a big surprise. Uh, well, anyway, I, I chewed off, I bit off more than I could chew. Uh, this project, th this talk was huge. I started working on it this week. There was no way to get through it. So um, what I decided to do was we've rescheduled it for December the 9th and Daniel O'Connor, the expert in this area, will be joining me up here live. We're gonna have a debate. We're gonna have discussion. It's gonna be great. So that's December the 9th for Divine Will if you were tuning in for that. However, in the meantime, I've decided that this topic today is extremely important. I've been asked by so many people to do a talk on modesty. This is the forgotten virtue, forgotten virtue. And why I'm taking you back to seminaries, because in seminary we learn heavily about the virtues and people don't realize modesty is a virtue. And a lot of people have been asking me to do this talk and I tell you what pushed me over the edge. Recently, I was at Mass. I was celebrating Mass, and a lady, probably mid-20s, came up for communion, and she was um, large in the top, and she had the skin-tight t-shirt on, and it said, weapons of mass destruction over her breasts. I saw that, and this is at a mass. And I knew we got to talk about this. This is the forgotten virtue that is affecting and plaguing everywhere, but nobody does anything about it. Few people even request that, that, that people dress modestly. They're afraid to be judgmental. And it has become something nobody's praying for. And that's what we're gonna talk about today. So thank you for joining us on this important topic. Let's begin with a prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we ask you send the Holy Spirit down upon us. We ask that you enlighten us to the need for us to be modest, men, women, boys, and girls, that our best should be brought inside your church, your home, and that we may dress reverently and with respect and carry ourselves in word and deed in all manner that is of dignity and reverence and modesty. And we ask this through the intercession of our blessed Mother Mary and through Christ our Lord. Amen. Name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Okay, so you saw from the cover, modesty, and, and how does it apply today? Why is it important today? Okay, first of all, do you know what's in the Bible? heavily. It's one of the 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit. Y'all remember that? We did a talk a while ago. All right, what are they? Charity, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, generosity, gentleness, faithfulness, and the last three are connected, modesty, self-control, and chastity. Nothing impure can get into heaven and modesty is what leads you to a life of purity or not. Okay, so what is it? Okay, to dress modestly, we know the obvious, is to deliberately cause sexual excitement in someone else, stranger, someone you know, and even yourself. Even yourself, surprisingly. So let's take a look at our couple slides from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. All right, let's start here. This is just a little theology we're going to give you in the beginning, then we're going to explain it in real terms. Let's start with paragraph 2521. It says, modesty, what is it? It protects the intimate center of the person. Your intimate center. It means refusing to unveil what should remain hidden. Okay? It is ordered to chastity and purity. It guides how one looks at others and behaves towards them in conformity with the dignity of the person. So it's not just your dress, but it's your actions and your words. All right, let's go to our next slide. Paragraph, the next one, 2522. Modesty protects the mystery of persons and their love. Modesty is decency. It inspires one's choice of clothing. It keeps silence or reserve where there is risk of unhealthy curiosity. It is discreet. Do you know I've been a priest now since 2014? I've never once had a confession where somebody confessed curiosity. Curiosity not only killed the cat, curiosity caused the loss of the soul. And when you are looking and you, you're imagining what is under the clothes of the people or if they reveal it to you, we have to be careful. And lastly, the catechism number 2524, the forms taken by modesty vary from one culture to another. And we're gonna talk about this. What about in Africa where the ladies go around topless? Is that modest? We'll talk about it. Everywhere, however, modesty exists as an intuition of the spiritual dignity proper to man. So it's not just physical, it is spiritual. And this is important. All right, what did the USCCB, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops say? All right, they actually talked about why modesty is important. So much so that they, they did a huge document on it. Modesty is a virtue. How do you get to heaven? God's grace. That's his part. What is your part? Virtue. You don't just, you just can't do whatever you want. God shower you with graces. You just do whatever you want, reject that grace, and expect to get to heaven. It's not our works that get us to heaven. God's grace gets us to heaven. But we cooperate with his grace through virtue. So modesty is a virtue Necessary for purity. You got to have it or you won't be pure. It flows out of the virtues of temperance and as we said above in the fruits, chastity and self-control. A modest person dresses, so talk about that, but also speaks and acts in a manner that supports purity and chastity. 
Why is this so critically important? Because it enables us to see God's plan for relationships, sexuality, and marriage. Do you know why the Catholic Church is out there and we're beating our heads against the wall, trying to prevent abortion and gay marriage because it's not in God's plan? But nobody ever says how we get the culture to see the truth. Modesty. Without modesty, we will not see God's plan for relationships and sexuality and marriage. It's an attitude. An attitude of modesty is difficult in this culture. It's a nightmare. Those who have accepted this permissive culture, all right, believe that freedom is you can do whatever you want. No. It's not what you want to do, it's what you should do. Freedom is the ability to do what you ought to do, not whatever you want to do. We have freedom here in America because we, we, we ought to worship God and we have the freedom to do that. We're here, at least so far. Pray that we don't lose that freedom. That's why we always talk about the, the non-negotiables when you go to vote. Dignity of human life, sanctity of marriage, and the preservation of religious liberty. Now, at the beginning of Christianity, do you think you got a tough now? Do you think we got a challenge now? Do you think we have an uphill battle now with the culture? People say it's lost. Do you know that the apostles, they preached and witnessed Christ's gospel to Greece and Rome. Greece and Rome were more pagan than anybody. It was horrible back then. Nobody would have ever guessed that they could do what they did with just a remnant group because the culture of Rome and Greece was so pagan, so debauchery, so immodest, but they changed that culture, difficult as it was. And these first preachers prevailed over the culture. They won numerous converts, encouraged virtue and modesty, and it worked. It worked for 2,000 years. Now we're losing it again. We got to go back to what they did. And the church is the answer. It calls us to be signs of contradiction in this society. You have to be a sign of contradiction. You can't go with this. The gospel can renew and purify this decadent culture. It can. It did before. It can replace this paganism. It happened by the grace of the Holy Spirit in Greece and Rome, and now we've lost it after 2,000 years. We've got to get it back. All right, so what does the church teach? All right, I'm going to take you back to seminary now. Thomas Aquinas, the basis of our seminary. Uh, St. Thomas Aquinas died in the mid-1200s. Now, he understood modesty to be part, as we said, of temperance, which is the virtue that helps us moderate desires. We can't let desires run amok. Well, this is how God created me. He created your desires to be used in marriage. So if you are within marriage, then a legal marriage and a, and a sacramental marriage, yes. But otherwise, it's, it's, it's offering that up for the kingdom. Now, modesty is being honest in not just your apparel, but your actions. And it applies, as I said, not just to women, even though we will be talking a lot about women today, but men, girls, and boys. What we wear portrays something about who we are and what we do. And the key is intention. 
All right, listen to this. Those women who have, this is Thomas Aquinas. Those women who have no husband. Now you might be surprised by this. I'm gonna give you a shocking twist here. Something the opposite of what you expect. I'm not just gonna lecture today that you gotta cover all your body and never act impurely. Actually, the church teaches that's not always the case. Surprise, surprise. All right, Thomas Aquinas said those women who, has no, who have no husband cannot without sin desire to give lustful pleasure to those men who see them because this is to incite in them sin. So he's saying that's wrong if a girl, a woman, even a man is dressing to entice somebody into lust. And if they adore themselves with the intention of provoking others to lust, they sin mortally. Now, if you don't intend it, but you still do it, you sin venially, venial. But if you intend to do it, I want him, I want Johnny over there to really want me. Now you've sinned mortally. Whereas if they do so from vanity, I'm not trying to turn into, but I just want to look good. I just want to feel good. That's vanity. Then it is venial sin. Now, Sometimes this applies to everyone. All right, now Thomas Aquinas explains that it is also immodest to be attached to what you wear. Are you attached to your shoes? I always tease cameraman Giuseppe. He's got as many shoes as Ameldo Marcos. And every day he comes in with a new pair of shoes. And so I always tease cameraman Giuseppe. He's attached to his Air Jordans. And so I always tease him. Now, I can't say much because I have a ton of University of Michigan football t-shirts. So, so anyway, we focus sometimes so much on the look of our clothes that even if they don't fit or they're not practical, how many women here have bought a pair of shoes and they really weren't the most comfortable and they really hurt your feet, but you keep wearing them? Why? Well, they look so good. They look so good. How many people, when it's freezing outside, guys too, will wear a skin-tight t-shirt to look good or a girl to show off her chest? This is where we get into trouble. Or we can swing in the opposite direction and be completely lazy about how we look and how we dress. That's also immodest. Why? Because it is charity to others that you don't smell. That when they're talking to you up to their face, they don't have to smell your bad breath. All right? They don't have to see the dandruff falling from your hair. This is not humility. I tell you, when I first came to religious life, we had a couple guys, and I knew they, they weren't going to make it. They're not here now. Their idea of humility was never showering. Their, hum, their idea was, this is humble. That's not humble. That's false humility. To, to bathe and to be kept clean, have clean hair, this is important. This is modesty. In fact, do you know modesty is talked about in the Bible? What modesty is talked about in the Bible. Let's go to our next slide. This is St. Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Now he's picking on the women, 
but this applies to men too. Women should adorn themselves modestly and sensibly in seemly apparel, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly attire, but by good deeds. Wear good deeds as befits women who profess religion. Huh. However, it is not a sin on her part if she's not doing that, if she's looking good for other reasons other than turning someone on. And I'm going to explain this in a minute. This is where it's going to get surprising for you. St. Paul is quoted in the Bible. Now, St. Thomas Aquinas adds to that that if a married woman adorns herself in order to please her husband, she can do so without sin. This is interesting. There was a very interesting story of a priest um, that, that wrote about this. I want to read you what he said. He said, I was once at dinner where a priest told a story about his mother. She and her husband were out with friends. And one of them asked her how she could wear a dress that had a low-cut neckline as she was the mother of a priest. Here's the shocker. She said, this is what my husband likes. Now, Thomas Aquinas adds to that. He said, when a woman is married... It is actually modest and right for her to dress in order to show her husband her love for him and her love of his affection. It's the same for the husband with his wife. Husbands, if your wife really loves you in that green plaid sport coat and you really don't like it and you want to wear a muscle shirt and and look buff, and all of a sudden she says, I really like you in that green plaid shirt. And it makes you look like you're right out of the 70s. That's modest. That's modesty. Now, St. Francis de Sales goes further. Listen to this. The wife may adorn herself looking good to please her husband, and this is good. But it is also lawful for her to desire to be pleasing in the eyes of her friends. So yes, you can dress to look nice. Now, within reason, he says this in the devout life. He also said that, we're, that what you wear should fit with what you are doing. To do this differently would be to be dressing dishonestly and immodest. For example, would I wear gardening boots and muddy jeans to Easter Mass? No. But neither would I wear an Easter, if I was a lady, should a lady wear an Easter dress to work in the garden? Obviously, these things are obvious. You know, here we're going to talk about attire at the Mass in a moment. But the other big one that talked about modesty was St. Alphonsus Liguori. So you've got Thomas Aquinas, um, you've got St. Francis de Sales, and you've got St. Alphonsus Liguori. Now, what did he say? He talks about the morality of a woman ornamenting, ornamenting herself. Now, 
He also talked about what was culture at the time was women uncovering their breasts. This was a cultural thing at the time he lived. He lived in the 1700s. And it was a cultural thing. Now we see that today, right, in Africa. Now is that immodest? Let's listen to what St. Alphonsus the Glory says. He says, okay, regarding the morality of a woman uncovering her breast, which was a fashion at the time, he explains that if a woman is dressing according to local custom, and she does not know of anyone in particular whom she is trying to lead to lust and has no intention to lead anyone to lust in general, she is not sinning. Now, we see this in Africa, but in the United States, if it's a law of indecency of exposure, is she sinning if she takes off her, her shirt? Yes, she's broke the law. So you have to look at the culture. His statement can apply, be applied to a lot more in our modern day with America. Now, what about swimsuits? So wearing swimsuits, okay. We need to look at whether this form of dress at the time, um, where it's being worn and what your intention is. Now, if it's literally you're going on vacation out to the beach and it's 90 degrees in the summer, that's one thing. But if you come into Eucharistic adoration with a bikini top, it's not going to work. Obviously, you know this. However, there are different views. John Paul II was surprising in his view of this. He actually took the loincloths off of the paintings of the nudes and left them nude. Let's listen to what John Paul II says. Now, first, he did say, there is nothing immodest about the use of a bathing suit at a bathing place, like the beach. But to wear it in the street or while out for a walk is contrary to the dictates of modesty. It would be wrong not to refer here to another problem, pornography, shamelessness, now he mentioned in art. He said it is a very broad problem because of the diversity of art. Now listen to what he says. An artist communicates in his work his own thoughts, feelings, and attitudes, but his work does not only serve his purpose, it serves the truth, that the truth it, that it must capture and transmit some fragment of reality in a beautiful way. So let's look at our next slide. You know what this is? The Sistine Chapel. When they restored it, John Paul II instructed the removal of the clothing. People are like, shocking. If we would do that here at the shrine, shocking. He did it. He had the loincloths removed from several of Michelangelo's nude paintings because that's how they were originally painted. They were added, the clothing was added by popes later to cover what they said was impure. But he actually uncovered the nudes in the name of Christian purity. That's really interesting. Purity does not mean avoiding something. It doesn't. 
The need to remove yourself from something implies that it is bad. And it is to be avoided. Something impure. Striving for purity in this way, like John Paul II did, actually prevents us from being immodest, he said. It, it actually is a Christian purity because the body is good, but it can't be looked upon as lustful. All right. Now, in light of all those in John Paul and others saying it's okay if you dress certain ways or even if your husband or wife desires it, there's been some warnings from heaven. You ever hear of Our Lady of Good Success? Woo-wee! This was Our Lady appearing in Ecuador in 16, uh, early 1600s. And she predicted Mary heresies that will turn off the precious light of faith by almost a total corruption of morals. She said, during this period, there will be great physical and moral disasters, public and private. There will be unbridled luxury. <clears throat> It'll win out. Numerous souls will fall and be lost. Here's what she said. Let's go to our next slide. These are the words of Mary, our lady of good success. There will be almost no innocence in children or modesty in women. And in this supreme need of the church, she was talking about after the middle of the 20th century. So right now, in this supreme need of the church, they will shut down anyone who seeks time to talk. These days, the atmosphere will be saturated with the spirit of impurity, which is a filthy sea run through the streets, squares, and public places with an astonishing freedom. She is warning us. Our Lady of Fatima, 1917. What did she say? This one scared me straight. When I first heard this in my early 20s, I went, uh-oh. I remember when I was starting to come back to my faith, I didn't until after the suicide of my grandmother. But I had dabbled a little bit coming back to church, and I remember I didn't know what EWTN was, and somehow I was flicking the TV one night, and they used to have those little quotes on the screen there on EWTN, and it was Mary at Fatima, and she said, more souls go to hell because of sins of the flesh than for any other reason. And it doesn't just mean intercourse. It means immodesty. Trying to cause someone to lust after you. This is what Mary told Jacinta, not Lucia. Now, she also warned, certain fashions will be introduced that will offend our Lord very much. I just told you the one, I could not believe a shirt on a young lady over her large chest says weapons of mass destruction. In a church, what has happened? Could you imagine if somebody would have walked in with that in the 1950s? It was after the sexual revolution and the false idea of radical feminism that that all changed. 
So Mary spoke on that. She issued a direct warning actually to women, saying, woe to women lacking in modesty. Now again, this does not apply just to women. It applies to men and children even. But she also got men in here. She didn't let men off the hook. She said, woe to women for lacking in modesty. But then she turned to the men and said, let you men avoid all greed, lies, envy, blasphemy, and impurity. So she nailed the men even harder. Pope Pius XII weighed on this. Let's look at our next slide. In 1957, he said, quote, the body's Beauty must therefore not be exalted as an end in itself. How many young girls there are today who do not see anything wrong, no wrongdoing in following certain shameless fashion styles like so many sheep. They would certainly blush. Today, I don't think they would blush. In 1957, he's talking about this. My, oh my. And he says, if they knew it, they would blush. Today, they wouldn't even blush. They would certainly blush if they could guess the impression that they make and the feelings they invoke in those who see them. What sins are committed or provoked by this public display of deliberate and calculated immodesty? Hmm. Now, before we get to the mass, let's talk about our next slide. Why is modesty in dress important? Okay, why? Now you can see from the slide there, modesty, the best way to bring attention to Christ in everything. You ever hear of that before? Whoever thinks of modesty is that? The best way to bring attention to Christ in everything. Why? Because you're not bringing it to yourself. It's tied to pride, the deadliest of all sins, immodesty is. The opposite is modesty. Now, why is this in dress important? Then we're going to go to other things. There's an interesting uh, priest, Father Kevin Kusick, um, that he tweeted out. I don't know if you saw this story a while ago. That women at his church should dress modestly when they come to church. His words, his exact words, this is all he said. Please help the priest to protect the purity of men at Holy Mass by choosing to dress modestly. That's all he said. He was blasted for being sexist, for being Stone Age. He was called a caveman. Now, when he tried to correct the youth, he was talking about um, an 18 or 19-year-old girl her parents attacked him. You know, when I was a kid, I was afraid to get in trouble at school. Because if I got in trouble at school and Sister Dorothy had to call home, heaven forbid, I was in more trouble when I got home. If Sister Dorothy had to call my parents, I was in more trouble. Now, the parents sue the school. This is insanity. For simple, and I'm not talking about abuse or hitting the child, of course. We're not talking that. But sending someone home 
to cover half their body and they get sued? What has happened? In response, Father Kosick said, I asked the parents it would be okay if I wore a bathing suit with the right liturgical colors and a thong to celebrate Mass. He said it didn't affect them. Hmm. He said, listen, we are not living in paradise where sin and temptation do not exist and nothing can harm us. The devil is all around us. We are living in a world where temptations and sin are a reality, he said. He continued by saying, our society has changed in regards to its attitudes on dress. That being said, it's not going to hurt anyone to wear a pair of pants for a one hour that it takes to go to Mass. Interesting. And he went on, you know, the statistics actually show that if you're living modest, that it goes and leads to better health, happier marriages, greater financial success, and more spiritual fulfillment. Totally proven. Now let's talk about modesty at Mass. We don't hear this from the pulpit. I myself, when I was doing this and putting this together with the help of Chris Sparks, our theologian, I appreciate he got me a lot of the saints and the church documents. I started realizing I'm guilty. I see people come here to the shrine and I have let them come in and walk out and I've never said a word to them out of fear that they would not come back. And after doing this, I'm realizing that's not the right way to look at it. Let's talk about modesty in the mass. Let's go to our next slide. There is importance in dressing for God, not the culture. You know, Mother Angelica down at EWTN at her shrine would have a box of sweatshirts and sweatpants. And if people, if men came in in tank tops or girls came in in crop tops, they had to use that box and put on a sweatshirt and a pair of sweatpants if they had shorts on or they were not allowed in. I think we should do that here at the shrine because this is how bad it has become. Not here, we're pretty good. But what I see on the road, oh man. More than just making a request, get a load of this. The Vatican now insists that tourists visiting St. Peter's in Rome follow a strict dress code. Do you know if you are in shorts? How many people go around Rome in shorts? Almost everybody in the summer. Those in shorts are with bare shoulders for certain liturgical masses at St. Peter's are turned away. Now, there is not an official dogmatic teaching on how to dress in the church. We know this. But the church says use common sense. Now, if you are invited to a, a gala event, we don't dress like we were invited to a, a beach party. What do I always tell you guys? The mass is what? What in the book of Revelation, what is the book of Revelation about? It's not about the rapture of the Antichrist. What is the book of Revelation about? The mass. 
And what does it say the mass is in the book of Revelation? Let's go to our next slide. A wedding. A wedding. And how do you dress for a wedding, ladies? A veil. Veiling. Do you know for 1,900 years, this was always done in the church? Wearing a mantilla, a veil. Women would wear a veil because you know what it signifies? I was talking about this with Father Matt this morning. It signifies being a bearer of life. This is why we veil the tabernacle. This is why we veil the monstrance. And ladies who have the veil, it's a, it's, a, it's a symbol of you are a bearer of life. Especially if you take the Eucharist, even if you're not pregnant or you have no children, you can be a bearer of life. You know, veiling was actually in canon law. We have two canon laws in our church, the 1917 code and the 1983 code. In the 1917 code, it actually had in there we, ladies wearing veils at mass. Now in the 18, 1983 code, that was removed, but it was never abrogated. It just wasn't, it's just not now specifically mentioned in canon law, but it was never abrogated. It was never said, do not come into the church without a veil. Or does, it, it, it does not say, don't come into the church with a veil. It doesn't say that. And so, who are you at the wedding feast? If this mass is a wedding, who's the groom? Jesus. Who's the bride? You. The church. You're the bride. And so, for ladies who really personify the bride, they veil. Now, does that mean that we're going to look upon you lower or I'm not going to give you Holy Communion because you do not have a veil on? Of course not. Of course not. But the meaning for 1,900 years is a pretty powerful sense of tradition. Again, not now today in the church required. It wasn't even really required under the penalty of sin at any time during church history. So please don't write me letters and say, Father, this was never, ever a sin. What are you talking about? No, I'm not saying that. It was the tradition. They just did it. And so this is huge. Now, Christ himself has invited us to partake in a banquet. What is a wedding? Feast. At the mass, you are at a banquet. The banquet of the Eucharist. You remember the reading a couple days ago about the guy that came in, the king, who threw the wedding feast for his son? And then nobody wanted to come. That's the worst. That's so many of us Catholics today. And then when those who did come came with the wrong wedding garment, what happened to the poor guy? He got kicked out. You don't want to be kicked out. And I'm not talking about just physically. In the church, I'm talking about out of heaven because you deliberately invoked lust in someone. And, I, I, and I'm not saying that, you know, how dare you do that? It's, it's human nature. It's broken. It's our broken concupiscence. 
I mean, all of us want to look good, but the question is, what's your intention? Now me, I exercise because my doctor threatened that I'm going to die because of my heart condition. So he said the best exercise is actually weightlifting. That was surprising me. I would have thought cardio was. So I try to do a balance day to day. Am I good at it? No. I mean, I miss more workouts than I know how to count. But my doctor keeps telling me, you don't get 150 minutes of exercise a week, you're going to die. That's 30 minutes a day for five days a week. Now, for a period, I was doing that. Have I done it recently? No. So if the intent is you want to be able to be fruitful, and I'll be honest with you, I'll share something personal. One of the other things that motivates me in the gym when I'm there trying to exercise, which I actually, it's not so much I don't enjoy exercising, I, I just don't have the time. That's what makes it so hard. But I'll share something personal. One of the things that keeps me motivated to go the extra mile and exercise is reading about the guys like Father Walter Chiswick, he leadeth me, that were thrown into work labor camps. And the only way they survived was by sheer will and the physical ability to survive. If we are all slothful, complacent, out of shape, could care less about the temple of the Holy Spirit God gave us, and, and, and we are just all about the couch potato, which I have fallen into too. Am I going to sit here and say, absolutely not. I have fallen into that in periods of my life. You're not going to make it two days when we're thrown into work camps because we're Catholic. It wasn't too many decades ago that that happened in Europe. Do you know that people talk a lot about Dachau? You know, they talk about Auschwitz. You know why Dachau was created? Christians, to kill the priests. And I keep thinking, Lord, if this is going to happen and we're thrown into labor camps, the priest has got to be the example. He's got to not give up. He's got to not lay down and say, I can't do this anymore. He's got to be an inspiration. He's got to be able, and that's how they smuggled in little droplets of wine and little pieces of bread. And the priests memorized the Eucharistic prayers. And then when the guards weren't around, they'd secretly say mass. And then they would go without food so that the prisoners could eat. How can you do that if you're not in shape? You got to be in shape mentally and physically. And so I encourage all my brothers to exercise because we may very well end up in the labor camp someday. Not too far distant future, maybe. Who knows? Or thrown in jail because we're preaching the truth. So it all depends on what your motivation is. That's key. Now, that does not mean that, that, that I don't want to look good. I'm not going to lie to you and say, yeah, I'd rather have my 32-inch waist back than a 42-inch waist. I've been putting on a lot of weight. I don't like it, so I'm not going to lie and say, oh, that doesn't matter to me. Of course it does. 
We, we, we are allowed to want to look good, but am I specifically trying to cause lust? If I am, then I'm in trouble. And so this is what our faith is teaching us. Now, our attire and our actions should reflect who we are in the presence of. When you are here at church, who are you in presence of? The king. If you had an appointment to meet the king, you wouldn't show up in a bikini or a tank top. You'd wear your, your best. So how do we correct Catholics who come to mass wearing this inappropriate attire? You don't have to look far. All right, you could work with your pastor to establish guidelines for your parish. Men, regarding you and modesty, the parish could encourage them to avoid looking like they're coming from a pickup basketball game. All right? And not wearing tank tops and shorts. I see it. All right? It has become common for men to wear these droopy shorts. When I, you know, that started back when I was in college. I'm like, why don't you pull up your pants? Never could understand that. I saw some of them in the bigger inner seas that they couldn't even walk because their pants were down on their ankles almost. And so the church, basically, if you follow the rule, your, your, you know, your, your baggy pants should be pulled up. And if you are wearing shorts, which the Vatican doesn't allow, and I don't recommend for mass at least, but even out day to day, you're at the grocery store, they should probably be at least knee length or close to it. All right. In addition, men should avoid wearing the um, clothing that just purposely causes distraction for women. All right. And for women, low-cut tops should be avoided, particularly those that expose your chest just for the purpose of getting attention. Skirts worn at mass should be at least knee length. This is keeping in the guidelines of Catholic school. Now, let's take a look at our next slide. What's our next slide? Women can avoid exposing their backs and their shoulders. Although wearing a shawl can help with that, that can overcome that. But ladies wearing clothing just to accentuate their feminine, feminine chest the church says should be avoided. The bottom line is that we should wear our Sunday best, not to distract away from God. If, if, if a guy comes to mass and instead of looking at Jesus, he's looking at you and vice versa, vice versa. If you have a bodybuilder and he comes in and he wants all the women to look at him and he goes to church to try to pick somebody up, trust me, it happens. That's a distraction. And so there should be a, a parish dress code. And that should be left to the pastor. But what about you? Should you say something to somebody? If you see a woman or a man inappropriately dressed, should you say something? Ha! Ah, okay, here's what the church says. If you are their friend or family, yes. If you do not know the person... No, you tell the pastor to enforce a dress code or ask the pastor to enforce a dress code. So let's talk about dress 
at like summer masses. This was a good article by Peggy Fry in Catholic Answers. Now, it does get hot. It gets hot here in the shrine in the summertime. What would you rather do? Respect the heat or respect God's house? Which one's more important to you? Which one's more important? In fact, she had a funny line. She said, communion during summer can look like it's the waiting line at Disneyland or a ball game. Not just with women, not just women in tight shirts or short shorts, but men with torn t-shirts, saggy jeans, chest-bearing tank tops, ball caps, foot-flops exposing gnarled toes, or swimming trunks. This is what Peggy Fry says, and she's correct. You know, it's funny because when I was a kid growing up, I, I had to wear, my parents made me wear a suit. Three years old, four years old, I had a, I had a sport coat and a tie. We got pictures of me at mass at four years old in a sport coat and a tie. Now, it was the middle of blazing summer, and I'm living proof that I did not die. I did not die. I lived. And the other thing I survived, I didn't need Cheerios. I didn't need my toy truck in the pew, even though I wanted to. I was all into sharks then. I wanted to bring my rubber shark. But after a couple times, I knew flat out it's not even worth asking because it's not going to happen. Your children will survive. Now, if they've got a diabetic problem, you know, I know I'm going to get letters. Yes, if they have a health problem or something like that, absolutely. But if, you're, if you have a normal grandchild or child, they will not die from the hour it takes to not have to have a bag of Cheerios in the pew. When I was a deacon, I got tired of having to sweep up smashed Cheerios. Like, why? And toy trucks scraping up and down the pew in the middle of consecration. Why? And in the attire, the children allowed to wear swimsuits and tank tops. Again, they're not going to die. It's a good little discipline. The reason I know it is because that's how I was raised. So if somebody say, oh, yeah, it's easy for you to say it, Father, I guess it is. Because that's how I was raised. And I thank my parents for that. And so now it's harder for parents. My heart goes out to parents now. And so, let's go to our next slide. A modest dress at Mass is also not about just wanting to be comfortable. It's not a comfort problem. It's actually a spiritual problem. Rooted in an oversexed culture whose fashions have now snuck into the church. And we've let it. The mentality that it's nobody's business what I wear to Mass God knows my heart. Well, this reflects a lack of humility and a poor understanding of what is actually happening at Mass. It's a wedding. Even in the crazy culture we are, I don't see bathing suits at weddings. And so we need to keep that in mind. The church is not the place, is not a place where temptation and sin should be allowed. 
where sexual distraction should be permitted to complete, compete with our Lord, who is present in the Blessed Sacrament. You know, the Lord's Prayer, what do we pray every day at Mass? What do we pray? Lead us not into temptation, but yet we are dressed causing the ultimate temptation of the parishioner next to us. Right? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So why are we allowing carnal temptations to be openly present at Mass? This is what Peggy Fry says. It's really good. The church doesn't bind us to a certain way to dress for Mass. I've said that. But certainly sends us plenty of reminders of the value and importance of dressing appropriately for Mass. Now, your bodily demeanor, not just your dress ought to convey the respect, solemnity, and joy of being at Mass, from being the guest of Christ. This is the Catechism, 1387. But we often hear, we don't want anyone to feel judged, or they'll feel unwelcome in our worship space. Or if we say something about their dress, they might stop going to Mass. Well, if you're looking for an excuse that easy to stop coming to Mass because somebody said, maybe in a loving way, now if you, if you come and you start pointing fingers and tell them they're going to hell, yeah, that's a problem. But if you lovingly tell them, you know, we are so happy you are here. You are welcome any, any time. And I'm talking to somebody you know, because remember, if you don't know them, it should go to the pastor. So this is your friends, good friends, or family. But I just, I just want to make sure that you realize that the teaching of the church is that we should wear our Sunday best. You're not even attacking them. You're, 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 you're elevating them up to a higher level. Now, if they're going to leave because of that, they're just looking for excuses. It's like COVID. All the parishes I go to now say we've never recovered from COVID. Those, you know what? Those people, they were looking for excuses anyway. You cannot die from the Eucharist. I can promise you that. The Eucharist cannot carry a virus that will kill you. It is ontologically impossible. We just need to use common sense when we dress for the church. That's it. All right, so modesty, what, what is it? Let's go to our next slide. Modesty, where do you draw the line? This is another article by Lauren Ramsayer. This was on chastity.com. Great stuff out there. And basically, modesty isn't solely concerned with how much skin you cover. I've been, I know I've been focusing on that. And when you think of modesty, you shouldn't automatically think of the Amish or the nuns. Okay, that, that seems to be what we think of. They cover their whole bodies, right? Modesty is a lifestyle, both inside and out. The question shouldn't be, how much skin can I show without getting in trouble or yelled at by the pastor? It should be, by wearing this, what am I trying to convey? What is my goal by wearing this outfit? Maybe you don't have a goal. Maybe you don't care. For me, it's very simple. Black every day. <laughs> I don't have to worry about these things. All right. So basically, 
this article of this Lauren said, while I may be totally comfortable wearing this, I got to ask myself, will it lead others to wander into sin? Well, it is not a female's sole responsibility to make sure that men do not think of her impurely. That's not totally your responsibility. It's his. We certainly have the duty to make sure that we are not accidentally leading others into sin by our wardrobe. Okay? Well, we're not always trying to make them lust, she said. We don't always take their soul into consideration either. How many of you, when you are putting on a tight shirt, if you're a lady especially, I mean, I guess it can go anywhere if a man's walking around in, a, in, a, in no shirt. I see these guys at ball games, it's 40 degrees out and they got no shirt on. So how many of you, when you left the house that day, thought about the state of the soul of those that you would see that day? Probably very few. But isn't, and, and this is the thing, it's not enough just to avoid bad intentions. Well, Father, I didn't mean to lead anybody. No, you have to have more than just not having bad intentions. You must have good intentions. I want to help them get to heaven. You know? And so this is always a good way for me. I always wear uh, religious t-shirts that, that have Christ on them or divine mercy. This could be a challenge when we desire attention. I mean, it's human nature. I, I mean, especially a young girl. What young girl doesn't want attention? You can't blame them for that. That's, that's part of human nature. But a good parent will, will show them their worth. By flaunting your body, you won't be happy with the kind of attention you're going to get. Now, here's the thing, everybody. Many times, girls complain about how the boys treat them. I had a young girl that I was counseling, and she was a senior in high school. And one of the big issues for her in spiritual direction was that the boys don't respect her. And, and, and so I, I've counseled several girls. I had a, a confirmation retreat in Boston. This is the famous one where the, the girl yelled at me, how dare a gray-haired old man in Rome tells her what to do in his bedroom. She's 10th grade, right? And one of the girls there that I think the retreat got to, she came to me and talked, and she said that the boys just don't respect me. You, I don't know how hard it was for her to get into the pants she was wearing. Because, and of course, I never said that. But I, I began to wonder if that respect was tied to it. What most don't understand is that the way they dress, they are lowering their standards. I mean, a guy who walks everywhere without a shirt on. Are you going to take this guy as a candidate for your next manager position at your business? Probably not. And believe it or not, many of the good guys that girls really want to attract are more impressed if you're modest. Yes, it's proven. Rather than bearing your skin as a commodity, your skin is precious. Your body is precious. If people are distracted by you, how hard will it be for them to learn to love you as a person because they're not going to get past your body? It doesn't mean that you have to wear floor-length dresses and turtlenecks all summer. Okay? But, sh but be sure, this is what Lauren says, that your fashion sense is not making others uncomfortable 
or falling into lust. Instead, you should be leading others to Christ, not only by word, but through your example. Modesty is not limited to just your clothing. Modesty applies to you as a whole person, whether it is the way you carry yourself, the way you speak, or the way you interact with others. Remember, you're not only representing yourself to the world, you're representing Christ. Now, this is where it gets really interesting. There's another work done on modesty, what's the point of it, by Katie Hartfeld. This is also chastity.com. This is awesome. Let's look at our next slide. Do you remember this Olympic star, Allie, Allie Raceman? And I, I, sorry, I don't know these names. She's on the left there. So she was an Olympic gymnast, cute girl. And she announced that she was going to appear in the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition. And she said, I know this is going to cause controversy, but I love my body. And this is her quote, women do not have to be modest in order to be respected. That was her quote. Yes, this is true. Women deserve to be respected and treated with dignity, regardless of what they're wearing. You don't have any right to assault the woman because she's dressed scantily. But while women deserve respect, they may not always get it. In fact, they might even do things that don't ask for respect. What do I mean by this? Rather than inviting others to treat them respectfully, they're, they're doing the opposite. What do I mean? Okay, you could have two girls wearing the exact same modest outfit. All right, take two girls, pretty girls, and they both are wearing the same modest outfit, like a long dress. One could still be clearly trying to get sexual attention by the way she acts, the way she talks, while another is carrying herself with grace and humility. Studies have shown men are more attracted to the latter. How ironic. While both are fully clothed, they are, both, they are not both examples exemplifying the virtue of modesty. So this Sports Illustrated photo shoot well, what is that different, Father, than her wearing her leotard on the gym mat? That's what she does. That's what she works. Okay, if it's for part of her sport, the intention is to play the sport. But the swimsuit edition, this is what Katie Hartfield said, it's not an anatomy book. It's women in provocative posing that want to be viewed by men. The magazine is not about respect, it's about lust. You can say the same for Playboy or Penthouse. Now, a modesty blocks men from rising to an awe of women's sanctity and the feminine genus. Do you know that they've done um, studies of the male brain? That ought to be interesting, right? In the male brain, there are areas associated with handling tools for the intention of getting the tools to do what you want, to perform actions. And that part of the brain lights up. Well, guess what? The same thing happened when viewing women in bikinis. They light up like they're viewing a tool. Fascinating. Brain scans showed that when men saw provocative pictures of women, the part of the man's brain associated with objects was activated. This is objectification. Some men even experience a complete shutdown of the part of the brain that's used to 
relate to others' feelings and emotions. You ever wonder why your husband is not emotionally tied to you? Or your boyfriend? That might be. When shown pictures of fully clothed women, however, the test subjects chose words that showed the woman had autonomy, more control of her life, and made better decisions. They more easily viewed them as a person that they had more respect for. Interesting. The irony of, these, of this whole feminist movement that started in the 60s is that the culture claims to want women to be respected, equal treatment, equal and strong. Yet often, the women portray themselves in a way that serves lust and, 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 and usage. Again, I'm not just blaming women. The same thing could be said for men. You ever hear the term boy toy? Same thing. And so modesty, uh, keeping on with this Katie, uh, she did this great article just to study, and she said there are posts on modesty that range from teaching modesty is body shaming and promotes rape, all the way to you should be wearing moo-moos and turtlenecks. So what, let's take a look at this. Let's go to our next slide. On the one end, it seems commonplace for teens to challenge dress codes. This is body shaming. This is sexist. I'm happy with my body. The belief for many is that encouraging women to cover up is showing that their bodies are bad. This is not church teaching. So when somebody challenges you and says, I'm not following a dress code, you're telling me my body is bad. God created it. How could it be bad? And you don't know how to answer it. We must be careful about what we wear so as not to lead others to sin. We've talked about that. But our bodies are not sinful in and among themselves. We do not have to wear long, baggy clothes to be modest. Now, denying the way God made you by being ashamed of your body is just as bad or sad as the woman who thinks that they have to hang out of their clothes to get attention. We should not call attention to ourselves and our holiness by dressing like we're from the 1800s. At the same time, we should not call attention to ourselves by falling out of our clothing to draw attention. Modesty concerns something sacred and holy. And it's more about reverence than shame. You know, this is one of my favorite examples of this whole talk. This is my favorite example that this Katie Hartfeld talked about. She said, it's like keeping a present in the closet until a birthday party. Let's suppose you have a teenage daughter and she's dying. I have no idea what teenage daughters want anymore. I'll say iPhone. She wants the newest iPhone. It's like keeping that present in the closet, wrapped up until that special day, her birthday. This isn't because you're ashamed of the present. No, rather, when it is revealed at the right time, her birthday, the anticipation of its awesomeness will be what makes it so special. You see where I'm going with this? The gift of your wedding night. She said she had a friend. So in other words, 
If you have a teenage daughter that doesn't understand why sex before marriage isn't good, you got to test drive the car, mom, before you buy it. Boys too, even more so. Why does our culture kind of look up to boys that have slept with many people, but they look down on the girls as being trampy, but the boy is a stud. It's the same thing. It's wrong. And so it's kind of like, well, if you're telling me I have to have a dress code, you're telling me my body's a shame. No. It's like that special gift that remains wrapped until the right day to reveal it. The birthday party, the girl gets the package, she unwraps the cell phone. Awesome day for everybody. That's how your body is on the wedding night. You keep it wrapped up. It's the most special of gifts. And then only, then and only then, at the proper time is it unwrapped for the receiver. Just like the cell phone was hidden, wrapped until the right moment, the right day, and it was unwrapped by the proper receiver. If you're a man and you're sleeping all around, you should realize that, no, this body is sacred and it's going to remain wrapped until the right moment at the right time, my wedding night, and then it'll be unwrapped and given to the receiver, my wife. How many ever think of this? This is what we got to teach our kids. This is the meaning. And so whether it's revealed, you know, at the right moment or not, you know, don't be ashamed of it. You know, um, modesty concerns something sacred and holy. You know, it, it's, it's not because you're ashamed of it. You know, she also said she had a friend who taught her daughter that her body is like fine china. I like this example. It has a specific purpose, not because it is bad, but because it is good. She mentioned a story of a large family who refused to teach any modesty to their daughters because one of them was abused sexually, even though she dressed modestly. Along those lines, some argue that these teachings foster rape, and insofar as this message sounds as it blames women for inviting sexual abuse. No, no, no. Women should be respected no matter how they dress. Any abuse is not your fault. Let's go to our next slide. That slide there, it said, don't get raped. But then they crossed out the get and the D, so it says, don't rape. Both need to be adhered to. Turning to the other extreme, dressing modestly is about love. You care about yourself and others. If you know some others may lust for how you look out of charity, you can remove the temptation. It is a focus on them, not on us. All right, wrapping up, everybody. Modesty. There's another good article, another good work by um, Esther Rich called Modesty Heart Before the Hemline. Listen to this. For a lot of people, the word modesty is associated with clothing. We've been talking a lot about clothing. It's, but it's not a concept intended to hide women under tons of fabric so that they can't be seen, like Islam. That's not how the Christian faith teaches. It's not about the shame they should have for being a woman. Modesty is not about the hemline, but a matter of the heart. Let's look at our next slide. This is a really good slide. Modesty is more than how we dress. 
It's a character quality that begins in the heart and shows up in our clothes. Your clothes reflect what's on the inside. What you wear on the outside reflects what you are on the inside. It needs to be about God, not us. Adam and Eve didn't associate their bodies with impurity or shame because their view of the world and each other was in line with God's. They saw God's plan for their bodies. And that's what they wanted, God's plan. So this initial intention of Adam and Eve was modest. It was not to hide the body. They weren't ashamed of it, but to protect their heart. Then they fell. The way we choose to appear to the world is our expression of the way we want our heart to be seen by God. Purity is achieved only when you, the two fall into line. If we desire to be pure but dress provocatively, we're, we're doing a disservice. And likewise, no matter how many layers of clothing you put on, if you have an impure heart, God's still going to see it. So I got to wrap up now, and I can't get to all of this, but I'm, I'm going to mention just a couple quick things. I, I think this is important because there's also fallacies about dress codes. Trent Horn did something on Catholic Answers about this. He said, many protest dress codes that they're sexist and they discriminate against women. They say, don't tell girls what to wear. Teach the boys not to stare. Is that true? Yeah. You should teach boys not to stare. Schools should be teaching all their students, students not to objectify classmates. Custody of the eyes is just as important as dressing modesty, modestly. It's not just the girl, but the boy keeping custody of the eyes, and it flips to the girl could not have custody of her eyes if the boy's dressing immodestly. But just because schools should be teaching this, it does not follow that they should not teach the virtue of chastity as well and modesty. So yes, teach the boys not to stare, but also tell the girls what to wear. So that phrase, don't tell the girls what to wear, teach the boys not to stare, is half correct. Teach the girls what to wear and teach the boys not to stare. Okay? So just as it is possible to turn a person into an object by staring at their body parts, it is possible to turn oneself into an object by accentuating your body features through immodest dress. Just because there may be cases where we disagree on what's proper or appropriate in clothing, it doesn't follow that there aren't cases that justify having dress codes. We need them. If your pants, and we've, we've sent employees home here. We have. If your pants are so short that your buttocks are showing, you're dressing immodestly. If your shirt or top is cut in such a way that it's exposing your body parts, you are dressing immodestly. Many critics say that because the vast majority of dress code violations are among women, it follows that dress codes unfairly target women and therefore are sexist. Well, the vast majority of people who commit sexual crimes are men. So does that mean we should no longer have criminal codes because they unfairly target men? We have criminal codes against sexual attack because it protects the person. Laws that prohibit sexual assault 
do not unfairly target men, although men perpetrate most of the violations. It only proves that men are more likely to commit, commit that kind of crime. Likewise, just because in some schools women are more likely to violate a dress code, and boys do with obscene stuff too, it doesn't prove that the dress codes are sexist. And then finally, Father William Saunders did some good work, modest dress in the modern world. And he said, some might say it is not my intention to arouse others. These are today's fashions. I should not be judged by my clothes. Well, the reality is you are. You are. You ever go on a job interview? You ever been on a job interview? Did you not think about what you were to wear? Yes, because you were going to be judged. If you show up for a job interview, not having showered, dandruff all over your hair, wearing a tank top and swim trunks, and you're applying for a banker position, you're going to be judged, whether you like it or not. Now, the new generation, I don't even know what they call them now, Gen Zs, millennials anymore, I don't know. They're trying to change that. That's human nature. People, why else do they try to look their best for the job interview? Why do companies even have dress codes? The reality is that clothes send a certain message to reveal your internal, your spiritual disposition. And since it is spiritual, it is the job of the, of the pastor and the parent to say something, to give guidance. Because of the casual world that we live in today, people need to be reminded to dress appropriately in God's house. That pre-shrunk, shrink-wrap, skimpy clothing is not appropriate. So last, last couple paragraphs. Thank you, everybody. You've been staying with us. When does impure thoughts and looks become mortal sin? This one's important. This was a work done by Tom Nash. Given that immodest looks and impure thoughts... So this whole time you're thinking, okay, Father, I don't dress like those girls. I'm okay here. But do you think like those boys? Are you looking at other people on the street that maybe are dressed in coats, but you look at them? And I know this from women in the confessionals, not just men. Women look lustfully, and men especially look lustfully. Men more than women, but it's both. So while you may not be the bad dresser, you might be the bad thinker, okay? So given that immodest looks and impure thoughts violate the sixth and ninth, ninth commandment, it is a sin of grave matter. This is a catechism, 1858. However, it may not be mortal because we don't know if there's full knowledge and free will, but Jesus told us to leave sexual immorality, even impure thoughts. Remember that? Even, I tell you, amen, amen, I say to you, even one who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Ouch. Ouch. One wants to avoid scrupulosity, yes, in matters, but also avoid moral laxity. Well, Father, this doesn't hurt anybody. I just fantasize. This is sometimes incorrectly thought as harming no one. I could fantasize about that movie actor. 
such fantasizing, this is male or female, harms first you because you're committing this sin, but you know who else it hurts? Them, if they're causing you to think impurely. Now you've led two people into sin. Because not only are you sinning in your impure thoughts, now you've got a sin on their soul because you were led into those impure thoughts by them. It's a trap, the trap of the devil. And so be careful. You know, they undermine our relationship with God. And this impurity harms you. They have, you know, it's, it's really tough. So the last part I want to get to is, so what is permissible and, and can we go beyond permissible to good? All right, so let's summarize real quick. Um, Susanna Spencer did some work with the um, National Catholic Register. And, um, but anyway, let's summarize real quick because uh, I'm, I'm out of time. First, when considering whether an act is moral, you must evaluate the whole act, the circumstances in which you perform. So if you're wearing a bikini, but you're at the beach, that's okay. And the person's intention in performing the act. Like if you're wearing nice clothes just to look good for your husband, that's different from wearing scantily clothes to cause lust. Simplicity and cleanliness in dress are also important, as we talked about, because they're humility. Dressing to fit your state in life, the activity that you're participating in, the fashion of the culture, and the intention are all part of being modest. Not just your clothes. We talked about St. Alphonsus Liguori. He also explained that while it's permissible for a woman to dress revealingly with pure intentions, the person who invented the trend of going topless at the beaches in Miami is going to be culpable for instituting that fashion. That could be trouble. It could lead people into sin. So although it changes, we don't know how his mindset was because it has become normative that one cannot look at a woman in a bikini and presume that she is acting immodestly. She may have no lustful intentions at all. So we don't want to be too quick to beat up on this. She may be simply going for a swim. Just wants to be having fun at the beach. Okay, can guys go shirtless in public? Well, actually, it depends, again, on the circumstances. In much of the West, it is considered culturally acceptable in some situations, such as a beach or public pool, to go shirtless. That would not be a sin. But if you're going probably to a restaurant, that's why they say no shirt, no service. When people dress appropriately for the activities in which they are engaging, John Paul II said that it would be inappropriate to consider their state of dress to be immodest. So if a gymnast or ice skaters are wearing short, whatever those things are called, that's part of the sport. John Paul II says it is not immodest. But it is better to never presume that someone is intending to lead others into lust. So do not judge them. Do not, do not judge someone's heart. You don't know. You know, one that really got me 
was one woman went after another woman for wearing a tank top at mass. This is why I said you got to be careful not to go to strangers. And she was wearing a tank top. Now, technically, I guess she could have changed into a shirt. But the reason that she was wearing the tank top is her body had some deficiency of what's the vitamin with sun? Is it D? D? She had some extreme vitamin deficiency, and she had to wear tank tops everywhere to try to get as much sun as she possibly could because she had this vitamin deficiency. And this woman attacked her. This is why I said it's better that you know them or you're a family member so you know kind of the situation. You've got to be careful not to judge. But that being said, there's a difference between what is permissible and therefore not sinful and what is even better when you want to grow in virtue. And so if we want to rise above the level of just what's permissible, strive for what is better, virtuous. Lead yourself to sanctity to have to be a deliberate and consciousness about all your choices, including your dress. Be aware of all that could come from it. When you put on your clothes, think about how it affects others. So focus on purity of intention. Don't knowingly tempt others. Stop raising eyebrows also at others who are not dressed the way you like. Because we could be to the flip side. We've had this problem before where somebody doesn't like somebody and they attack their clothing, that's not your place to judge. You tell the pastor. And so I finish with this slide. If Brother Mark can show it, what is this? A beautiful wedding. A wedding. The best place to factor this into your life is the mass. It's your wedding day. The mass is your wedding. You're married to the groom, Jesus Christ. And who would not prepare modestly for that moment. Amen. Hallelujah. God bless you all. Thank you so much for coming. We're grateful that you could be with us. I do want to have Brother Mark show a couple things. Uh, our, join our Marian helpers. If you want to share in the benefits of being a Marian helper, please join us. Visit micprayers.org. It's there on your screen. It doesn't cost anything. It takes less than a minute. But you can share the benefits of prayers with us, and we pray for you. And, and that's beautiful. There's no obligation under sin. You just try to pray for us, but you're guaranteed daily prayers from us. What grace do you not want from that? Um, beautiful. And you know what? We also want to try to increase our evangelization. Please, on this video, hit like and subscribe, because the more subscriptions, the more this video will go out, and they'll put it on people's suggested videos. And that's where we get most views. That's how God can speak through people. The church can speak through the priest, which can speak through you if you click like and subscribe. And then finally, our books, uh, Understanding Divine Mercy, you can get at shopmercy.org. The phone number's there, 1-800-4-MARION. And if you're struggling with any kind of suffering or loss after suicide, it's not just about suicide, but any kind of tragedy, you can get that book as well. It'll truly help. So we hope to see you. And again, if you tuned in for the divine will, we'll be doing that on October, excuse me, December the 9th. And please be with me next week. I will be here Saturday and we're going to talk about the Antichrist and the who is the Antichrist and what do you got to know? And until then, may almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
Amen. Thank you and God bless you. Thank you. Hi, this is Father Chris Alar, and I'm excited to tell you about our new digital platform that in case we ever get canceled off of YouTube or Facebook, you can still find us. Yes, our brand new platform, divinemercyplus.org, has everything that we have on all those other channels. So in case, again, because of teaching the truth, if us Marian fathers get canceled, you won't miss a thing. Dial in to divinemercyplus.org and you can start seeing all of our masses, our rosaries, our chaplets, our Explaining the Faith series on Saturdays, our EWTN show, and all our special events that you will not have to miss if we get canceled. So again, please bookmark divinemercyplus.org and pray for us that we are able to keep this ministry of the truth going. God bless you. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content, which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit DivineMercyPlus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's DivineMercyPlus.org. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily Masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign-up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.